Hey everyone, how you doing? This is Sanakori, DJ Sanakori for all you people who tune in to Taino Radio. Check this out. Hashtag Taino Strong 1491, Spotify, Anchor, and all your friendly neighborhood podcasts out there. You can find us. And man, I'd like to thank everyone for writing in to Taino Radio. Um, and the email once again is tainoradio1491 at gmail.com. Had a lot of wonderful comments from before the last show on spirituality. And man, I'm telling you, man, I I really encourage people to, to send your ideas, send your questions on the next show. Okay. We're gonna we're gonna tackle all those questions on the uh, Caribbean indigenous spirituality the influence of african spirituality as well it's all good man i'm telling you so tao taino ti todo mi gente este dj sanacori mi gente en puerto rico borinquen santo domingo república dominicana y cuba también yo sé que usted está escuchando a tainoradio.com muchas gracias a todos ustedes yo voy a tratar de hablar mucho español en el futuro, yo voy a tener un show en español y, y ojalá eh, en Taino también los diferentes um, idiomas que tenemos en, en Taino so, ese es para el futuro pero muchas gracias so today we have a beautiful guest today and we're going to talk about something that I kind of started in the, on a spiritual level on a healing level tackling that age-old problem of decolonization that's right when it relates to our intergenerational trauma that's right we were an invaded people from europe okay and it was not a pretty sight beginning in 1492 1491 was a better year but guess what after 1492 it was rugged it was difficult it was tough but we are still here so once again, I got a beautiful guest. She's a fellow tribal person from my Yucayeque, Arayeque, Yucayeque. And her name is Natalie. Are you there? I am. <laughs> oh, man, that is cool, man. That's hey, cool. everybody. <laughs> That's right, man. Mira, todo el mundo este, Natalie. Now, Natalie, where you from, man? So where, you living right, where you living right now? Tell us all. Yeah, yeah. So I I, uh, I teach and I'm at uh, which is out in DeKalb. So we kind of like set up roots here, um, Chicago, Chicagoland area. Like my family moved around a lot, so we moved between the city and like the suburbs, kind of throughout my life. Oh man, that's beautiful, man. Chicago, that's the place to be, right? Damn. I know uh, a couple of years ago I was gonna head out there for. Um, for um, Indigenous Day Remembrance, I was going to start out with it because I know there's a Columbus statue somewhere in Chicago, right? I think there's a monument. Yeah. Yeah. So, hey, maybe I'll go out there, man. What do you think? I think you should come out. out. Yeah, we'll do a ceremony right there telling everyone that Columbus is a bum, you know? (laughs) Right? So, ceremony, um, we got into the history part, you know, like the history lessons. I was saying that we should uh, get you to do a drunk history sometime, like a tiny. <laughs> oh, wait, I missed the last part. You went off a little bit. Say that again. A Taino what? We were thinking that, you know, it would be fun to do like a Taino drunk history with you. Oh, man. Here we and, go. And talk about that period. 
but um a lot of like chicago there's a lot of italian american um a lot of polish immigrants and stuff like that so like pulaski is celebrated pretty heavily and it's like kind of tied up with people's sense of nationalism you know mm-hmm. italian figure italian hero figure so there's like a lot of ignorance a lot of people you know kind of like pride they shouldn't have in something you know what i mean yeah yeah no man you know we here in new york city we in brooklyn we have a bridge called the pulaski bridge you know so they just renovated it too so oh it's crazy yeah man so yeah i think i think cultures they forget right like the immigrants from europe they forget that it yo for thousands of years man indigenous people were here man you know oh yeah for sure because yeah fiction of america where it was just kind of like waiting for us to conquer it you know what i mean like if you're talking um that yeah. you know it was just sort of there for like that whole um of um what is it uh my god so i'm anxious but uh doctrine of discovery that's what i wanted to say ah the doctrine of discovery that the that you know, I don't want to offend any Catholics out there, but Pope Francis still, they think he's a cool Pope. He's done a lot of cool things, but he still has not destroyed that document. It's still an active document, right? So, yeah. Justify well, a lot of stuff to this day in, like, the Supreme Court. So it's it's really, like, a dead document. It's still really alive and well, I think. Oh, it is. It's it's, it's it's actually it's still active. The, the the Rome has never rescinded. It's still an active, living document. So um, it's just unfortunate. You know, a couple of couple of years we've done it. Indigenous Day Remembrance here that we burned the papal bull. We actually burn it. So it's um, amazing. And it's, and it's kind of cool. Like when you see the smoke go up, you know, it's like we've. It's almost like um, you can feel the pain in our blood. You know, like my God. You know, this is this you know this has to go down it has to disappear you know the intercartare keltari wait my latin is way off the intercartara people bull and that's what it is is a bunch of bull right so like we gotta that. get like we gotta get rid of it man yeah it's, it's crazy <laughs> the people bull must fall yeah and you know it's crazy it's a was founded by um, a black man in a Potawatomi, his Potawatomi. So what's crazy is we should be really proud of this, like, and, um, you know, kind of like people from the margins come city, but it's often something that just gets like glossed over, you know, forget, but it would have been great if we kept that, that continuity of culture where, you know, people from the land who are kind of you know speaking and uh make the political level but you know people yeah. forget <laughs> yeah for all you his yep for, for all you historians out there the paper bowl of 1492 it was created and sanctioned by uh pope alexander the sixth mm-hmm. and you know it's a paper bowl it's a decree an official decree that says inter which authorizes Spain and Portugal to colonize the Americas and its native peoples as subjects. Can you imagine that? So there you go, man. This is something that's still active. So technically, I guess 
we Taino people are still, I guess, uh, subjects of Spain and Portugal. What do you think about that? Oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, if not, okay, so, like, we talk about it, colonization of the mind and the soul is, is the madness, right? So it's like taking our way of speaking, taking our way of knowing, and then saying that it's garbage and there's only one way, one for you all to think and feel and worship and it is not your way you know exactly. fortunately people have internalized that over generations because out of out of fear of necessity you know out of just for kind of like find a way to survive and sometimes to think about your identity you know what i mean because you, if you're enslaved you're just trying to You know, that's why when we talk about really it's about that resurging like of the culture like it, it kind of coming back mm -hmm. if, you know breathed into it and yeah. so when you say <laughs> I see colonization everywhere because that's what capitalism is that was the and was capitalism and that's what drove it so it's every day well, I just want to piggyback on what you said before just a minute ago about, like, 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 say you invite me to your house, right? And I'll go to Chicago, right? And I'll say, wow, what a beautiful home you have here, right? And then all of a sudden you see me like, oh, this is bull crap. And I start throwing all your decorations in the garbage and, you know, and I say, oh, I don't like this food and throw out your food, you know, and, and then I take over your bed, you know, I say, oh, you can't sleep here anymore. I'll, I'll take this bed, you know, and, uh. And you know, little by little, I'll destroy your apartment. <laughs> that's that's pretty much what happened, right? Yeah. I mean, it was like it started off with like, friends, and then it's like your friend sleeps on the couch and never leaves, and eats all. You know, but like, and then it gets really, really yeah. violent all of a sudden. It's kind of like that. It's it's really able to get from reading documents. It was like very. You know, absolutely. We want to embrace your idea of us being your, you know, and you know, a couple, couple of years later. Yeah. Uh, it's just like I think that's what really hurts the most is that um, the good nature that was part of like Taino ethics manipulated and used against folks. Right now, now you know I, I know that um you're Taino and from Chicago. Can, can you can you let the viewers know what what homeland are you from? Your ancestry, what homeland? Yeah, sure. So um, and uh, wait, wait. Oh, um, hold on, Nanley. We just got a bad reception. Can you repeat that again? Sure. My family's from Boricán or Puerto Rico. Um, uh -huh. And from what I know, it's it's. Lares and uh, Ponce areas. Uh, nice, yeah. Love family there, but I, I haven't really seen them in, in a long time. Um, most of my family, they kind of came, became part of diaspora in. So my dad was born in New York, and All then because right. uh, my family, my whole family was like factory working kind of family, mm -hmm. traveled over to Chicago and uh, set up roots over in Ross. And uh, 
yeah, it's kind of they stay there for a while and then retired in Florida. Oh, nice! So they retired yeah. in Florida. Okay, well they well they got back to the homeland because Florida is one of our homelands, so that's great. Yeah, I, I think so too. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, that's good, Bonigan, all the way, man. So listen, I I know you go to school. So what school do you go to, and what are you doing, man? What's your plans in school here? Yeah, different um, than most people as far as like what I'm doing. So I'm going for and um, PhD. Yeah, so a a doctoral degree in, uh, and my subfield is uh, writing studies, and what I do is is decolonial theory. So it's kind of like. All different different disciplines in order to kind of think about things right because you're you're looking from the like the tribe right you're asking right. like the elders and the people like this right and you're thinking about um how people define things like right um and so like I, in my path i was like oh yeah I'll, I'll you know get a professorship whatever right more and more I was in academia the more and more I'm like this is not the place for me mm, nice um, oh you said so it's not a place for you you said no academy. I mean I you um I I like in, in a way that's really meaningful and I'm not saying that you know teaching but if you're a decolonist right if you're doing decolonial theory yeah for a university that's like some serious weird because a university is a white supremacy machine machine you know that western logic is the supreme logic right yeah if thinking and no matter how much i push on like no like yes the ethnic rhetoric right like how we're communicating um as people from the margin Queer theory and stuff like that. They're like, mm-hmm. they give it lip service, and I'm not trying to talk to anybody. It's just the way the system is. Um, you know, and they won't fund seriously. They're not real, you know, real scholarship. It's like, and I didn't feel that way. Um, I wanted to actually sit there on a comfortable chair and write about people. I wanted to be with people and work with people and um i also had to homeschool my son and no no you know academy <laughs> no higher educations do give you any work balance life right oh um, yeah work life balance um, it also came down to a question of like you know what are my ties what i want to do so um i'm going to be writing grants for our UPAC, you know, um, I want to try to just for everyone, because I know that we have a lot of folks that have different needs all over the place. And so a lot of us just need a space where we can work trauma together because, um, you know, as marginalized people, it's not like people that we can meet that have things in common with us that would understand our background. Yeah. in our family so um yeah i just i and it's so um like white peers i just i can never feel comfortable i always felt really 
you know, I felt kind of judged as inferior a lot of the time. Sure. And so I just, I'm like, I, I really, for me, like I'll teach, but I don't want to be um, kind of blocked in. So I'm kind of like, I'm kind of trying to figure out, you know, what I want to do for money. Do for a living. That's how you live your life. Right. And then there's what you do for money. Cause we have right so I know, right? um i think you'll probably do a lot in grant writing and you know teach here and there where i can but yeah it's because most people are like they're dead set on going and being a professor it's not for me oh so you don't want to be a professor Ooh. hello can you there hear you. me now i can hear you okay so you don't want to be a professor um, no, not in okay. the sense that I'm in like higher education, um, right. working in learning community is one of the most enriching experiences I've had in my life. So I, I like doing that and I guess learning facilitating, right. Where I'm just kind of there and but but really we're all just kind of collaborating to, um, kind of indigenous identity and what it means and you know shit we go through and how to go kind of resolving things wow look at that yeah you kind of remind me of a younger Yare Melendez she was the University of Puerto Rico in Bayamón yeah, that, she, yeah uh, that, uh-huh. that's a huge compliment I've seen her speak before not like in person but yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I had the privilege to work with her, and uh, she showed me a lot of things about community building. And and I remember one day asking her, you know, so so what's the gig, man? How come you know you're not in you're not in, in the academy anymore, you know? And then and then her the whole thing was because uh, they don't like me working with Taino people, you know, indigenous people, and and they they kind of punished they punished her. You know, they started taking yeah. classes away from her and they were afraid of her voice and her actions. And I remember when Nawake lost funding, she had a she went back to try to teach some classes, you know, and they give her like the worst classes, you know, that don't pay much. And, you know, it was really it was really like degrading, you know, but she did it because she needed the money. But but she also loved teaching. She. She helped over 25 PhD students through the years, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean she's inspiration. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know how to put it. She did so much. From what I know, she tried to, like, communicate kind of just something that should be in school, regardless of, yeah. of your maybe affiliations to that ethnicity because those are the sovereign people. Right. That, that's it. That's it. You, you know, in Puerto Rico, there's three languages, official languages. One is the English, the Spanish, and the Nahuaque dialect. It's an official, you know, it's official. Really? In Puerto Rico, yeah, she fought for that for years. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. I when 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 the uh the senator of when the senator came to visit one of the senators, he was in charge of education. He she specifically 
she was a strategist. <laughs> she specifically planned that they would visit the kindergarten kids, right? And the plan was, okay, kids, talk nothing but Taino. <laughs> what I taught you. And they were just floored. It was the secretary. It was the senator. They were floored. Like, what, what are they speaking? What are they speaking? Not what dialect. It's the official, one of the official languages in Puerto Rico. And they were just floored by that, you know? And it was like, wow. Yeah, I, I, she was ahead of her time. Yeah. Oh, and the reason I brought that up, I remember I went to her study, her office in her home, and she had like three huge volumes of, of language notes. And I, I would say she had maybe 10,000 pages worth, you know, of these notes. And, and I says, yeah, hey, you got you to gotta write your book. You got to publish this. She had the, the grammar school level and she had high school level, an adult language scheme. And what happened was she told me was it's going to take me at least two years to, to do this, to publish this. Who's going to be with the kids? Who's going to be with the community? I can't stop that. And unfortunately, she died before she was able to publish. But her dedication to the community was number one, you know. Yeah. yeah. So you kind of remind me what, what you're saying right now. This is stuff she used to say, you know, like, like the academy has no clue, <laughs> you know. They don't. What they do is like, well, I shouldn't say that entirely, right? Because there's some there's some people who are yeah. who are doing good work. Right? That's true. And it's hard to because they do push you out. It's not like conspiracy. It's pretty much out there. Like some people have written about their experience, give you critical race theory and stuff, like being harassed and treated like shit. Well, that's and, what it is. Well, it is right because it's one thing to be like, oh, it's good to study that, but then when some, sometimes it means like you have to question about like what you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. People don't like that. It's it uncomfortable. So you know, it's it. Um, I guess, what's the point of working there when I can, like, for people <laughs> that actually, like, help people in some way, you know what I mean? Or, yeah. And help to build the culture back. Like, that's a huge and, like, amazing thing to be, thing to be a part of. Oh, no doubt. And, you know, one of the reasons why I feel like you you remind me of Yade is, uh, you know, you're doing a project right now with the Yukayeke. The Yukayeke, you're doing something really powerful. Can you share that with our listeners? What are you, what are you doing? What's the project you're up to? Yeah, so it's part of my dissertation. Um, and that's kind of like the, the main is to figure out how we think of, like what decolonizing people in a Yukayeke. And, um, because decolonization and decolonial theory is huge. The big thing about it is that you're never supposed to make generalities, right? You're never supposed to say things. You're supposed to kind of like focus and really practice. Just sit there and theorize about it, right? You're actually supposed to get in the roots, right? And versions work. And so like the way that I, I do it is really, I embrace that kind of method where you're there you know and you decenter yourself it's not about you it's about listening and discovering together questions and what the answers would be and to me like if I'm if I would have 
religious way of teaching is Taino, I would say that that sort of like being and discussing and, you know, that's kind of the way that I would learning communities to be not like what we call didactic, where you have like somebody lecture and you're just supposed to memorize all the Oh, right, things. right. You know what I mean? So, and we're more imaginative, I think, too. You know, we ha- we, we are able to um, open our minds more to each other, I think. You know, at least in my experience, right? Right, right. Very like-minded, so we kind of are in the same vibration, you know? So we get a lot of work done. But it's also like really big questions. So sometimes we're just like, just getting into it. You know, that's really, we are, we're really sort of just kind of figuring out um, how do we decolonize as like, for, for instance, if you're from Port, like your family's from Puerto Rico, you know, and you're in diaspora, your identity is really complicated. And the way that you have to kind of like justify to other people sometimes that you are in fact indigenous is sometimes like mental gymnastics, you know, because they're like, but aren't you, uh, aren't you one of them Hispanics? You know, like, it's like, uh, okay, no, I'm not a melting pot, you know, like um, we have ethnicity and like we have, uh, you know, indigenous roots that are very important to a lot of us and they mean something Um, and understanding what our ancestral wisdom is and knowledge is, that's a big part of decolonizing. Like tuning in and relinking to your ancestors while you're delinking from like ideas that colonizations put in your mind, like exactly homophobia, transphobia, um, capitalism, you know, like all of these things that came with the conquistadors that changed our lives like forever, right? Um, those are things that you're trying to de-link yourself from. So it's not like you're like anti, you know what I mean? You're like, it's more like you're just trying to like, you're recentering your culture is important and really trying to understand your culture from your culture's perspective, not from what somebody wrote about your culture that may not even be affiliated with you or your right. culture, which we see a lot with, with Taino books, right? Like in academia, we see a lot of these people writing books about Taino identity and they're written from people who have never, ever even talked to somebody who is, right? Right. All these weird assumptions get passed along. And so, like, part of this work is, for me, in, ac- in academia, to, like, confront that bullshit head on and mm-hmm. say that's not the way. That's not what's fucking going on here, you know what I mean? Like, let me let me get into the truth of this, right? But also, how you kind of begin that process of decolonization if you're from, like, uh, like the Caribbean, because our identity and our colonization process is so different from other um, areas of like South America and Latin America, for instance. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's beautiful. And how the members reacting to this, like their voices, what, what, you know, what do you see? Like, what's the, uh, your understanding, like what are you hearing from the tribal members and attacking this decolonization stuff? Yeah, and this is this is kind of huge because I have to go through everything still, and I'm midway through. Um, we're doing one on Friday on um, disability and um, decolonization. So, wait, uh, disability? You said disability? Yep, yep. So uh, Destiny uh, will be helping us and leading that one because uh, Destiny does phenomenal work in that area. 
um, and has an extensive amount of knowledge about like disability and decolonization. So um, yeah, we're going to be talking about like how do we decolonize our ideas of what it means to be like quote unquote able-bodied and where does that idea come from and you know who like constructed that idea it's you know an able-bodied white dude from europe so like you know we're gonna we're gonna get into that and then also kind of thinking about how we can be more accessible to um you know our siblings in the uvx too oh yeah that's great so that's an example right like we do themes every week so it's kind of like but that's the kind of stuff we do this is great work because you're you know, you're working within, you know, we can't really change mentalities out there in the, in the world, but we have to start within, right? We have to decolonize our minds, our hearts, right? I mean, and, yeah. Yeah, because unless you, you know, unless you live, well, you know, we do get a taste of it growing up in a traditional Puerto Rican home or Dominican home, you know, and but but because we're in the middle smack in the middle of this capitalistic society right we call new york or america it's so hard you know layers are placed on us right yeah and on a constant basis so it's really difficult to live a traditional way right because that money that well, it's money, like it's not even legal for us to like put a farm out on our front lawn right so we can't even get food sovereignty in the most like small way you know what I mean? We have to rely on like stores and shit. Like this is very true in Puerto Rico, right? With Hurricane Maria, where people couldn't get food because everybody was relying on, you know, capitalist farms to, you know, turn out food and nobody had the space on their property to grow food or the knowledge. So, you know, it's like taking away the knowledge of how to produce your own food and not, you know, teaching it to you, things like that. Um, you know, it really makes it hard for you to have any ability to separate from capitalism or the effects of colonization because you're like locked in. The whole the whole world is right. Mm-hmm. You know what's incredible? Now you mentioned that. I remember when the collapse of communism, Russia, millions of people died because they didn't have the food, you know, yep. to sustain the society. But yeah, Castro. I mean, I'm I'm not a, I'm I'm not a supporter of the Castro regime, but there's one thing they they did is to um, is to offer people the opportunity, empower the people to farm, you know, and and that's what kept the Cuban people alive using those ancient techniques, you know, farming, Taino techniques. So they didn't have the same suffering as Russia did, because Russia was totally centered on a you know a hell capital capitalistic model, right, and uh. So Cuba was able to survive that that collapse, you know, using those traditional ways. So that's a good thing, right? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. like, but again, it's like, um, you know, at the same time, I've heard that a lot of folks that have been in, in Cuba, it's very hard to kind of again get in touch with your Taíno roots because there's so much sort of like anti anti Indio identity kind of sentiment around, right? Yeah. It's what I'm, I'm hearing. Just like, I mean, like all of the, all of the islands, really, there's still a lot of people adjusting to the idea that, you know, um, they had indigenous descendants, apparently. Um, so I, yeah, I, I don't know very much about, um, about Cuba and I want to know more because I feel like a lot of it is kind of like kept internalized, right? So like, we don't hear a lot about it if we're outside of, of Cuba, but mm-hmm. 
a lot of folks that are from there um, have more knowledge of that of that experience. So I didn't know anything about um, how folks were allowed to sort of farm their own land there. Now I just um, you know I've been doing this series of of Taino that we're not that we're not extinct because in Academy they're still pushing this whole extinction myth. Um, now I just Google the Taino are extinct. I just Google that right, and I got a blog. It's called the Enekes Anthropology Anthropology Blog. D I E N E K E S. So I just it was. This was back in 2011. It was written October 26. So, so listen to this, right? And let me see your. Let me hear what you have to say, okay? All right, all right. Let's do it. The modern Taino identity is nothing but a completely modern and artificial fashion and fiction that is the result of the birth of a third world style nationalism among some lower to middle class people from the Caribbean islands during the last few decades. And has thus has no connection to the actual Taino identity, which became extinct soon after the Spanish colonization of the Caribbean islands and the ensuing racial mixing, including African slaves. And the other part was kind of taken off. I don't know. What do you think about that? <laughs> All right, let's get started. All right. So first thing, they're they're. Uh, what constitutes extinct seems to be based on the census records that the Spaniards took, which if you know anything about blood quantum, if you had a single drop of European blood, you were instantly qualified as a white person. So let's talk about how census data is a whole bunch of bullshit to basically perpetuate white supremacy. Okay. Um, (laughs) Go for it. Go for it. And not only that, but race is invented too, right? Because for some people, right, what looks black or or uh, Indio or white differs, right? And those are constructed. Every culture has a different idea of what is black or white or brown, right? So when he's talking about extinction, right, I'm wondering, like, how the fuck do you... How, how does the culture go extinct? Like, can you please tell me? Because, like, whenever they say that, whenever I read that, I'm like, can you please define? Can you talk? Like, can you actually tell me what you mean by this? What does that mean to you? Right? And usually there's nothing, right? It's just like, oh no, like, there's no census records. Well, okay, but we know now, and we knew for a while that those were, like, sort of forged to tell a certain master narrative of white supremacy, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of like people that just still him and ha, but luckily we're getting more and more information out. The other thing is like when I when I hear these things, when I hear that argument, because I've the same thing I've heard it before, and I've read it before. These people have never heard of something called cultural resurgence. A lot of indigenous cultures and sovereign cultures go through this process of resurgence because of colonization. Basically, you're forced, your language is legalized, you can get, you know, beat for it in school if you speak your mother tongue type of thing. Um, you know, your your culture is stripped from you by force. Mm-hmm. And so 
people, once they're able to return to their culture and have that sort of freedom to do so, start to research the culture, start to look back and then sort of acknowledge that their culture would have changed through time anyway, right? If it had quote unquote stayed intact, because it does stay intact, right? Like our grandmas do stuff that our great grandmas probably did and their great grandmas did in order to survive using plant medicine and food medicine, right? So there are things about us, like I think some people still use old pottery methods that were Taino to construct pottery to this day. Um, so there are things that we see the traces in the, the material culture that it's still there and still vibrant. But here's the thing. I think that when we talk about Taino identity for a lot of people that threatens their sense of nationalism and their nationalist identity, which some people conflate with a decolonized idea of identity, right? right. Because we were colonized twice over. So it's kind of like decolonizing, kind of, kind of decolonizing, quote unquote, a level, right? But then there's this whole other colonizer who really did the damage, like really, really did it, right? And they're Spaniards and they, they really reframed the way that we think. We're still thinking in those ways. We're still trying to think in the ways that Westerners think and justify things. We're not acknowledging like the spirit as part of science, you know what I mean? And our spiritual experiences is a way of kind of knowing the universe in a way that's very different. So yeah, I mean, like, it's really frustrating because these are usually like people who are really fucking privileged and they sit in their room and they write this bullshit and they never have to be confronted by people who are actually Taino. Because if they did, they might have a different opinion if they actually talk to somebody. So when we, like, it's really important that we do research on our communities. And I'm not saying prevent people from the outside, but like having some procedures for that too, because, you know, sometimes people don't understand what they're hearing or they they can't understand, right? Because they don't have the lived experience that we do. So, you know, I think it's important that I I try to encourage people, you know, like... uh, (laughs) If you want me to publish something for you, you know, like on a blog entry or ghostwrite something for you, yeah, let's do it because we need to get those thoughts out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's that, that's amazing. You know, I I I want to recruit you, and now we got listeners listening and say, what is you recruiting him her for? Well, you <laughs> know, <laughs> well, back in 2015, there was a professor from New City College here in New York, right? prestigious school and he's the head of the anthropology department and uh oh hold on a second my hold on a second you see oh my lord see these are the those invader spirits are around me they're haunting Uh okay the the yeah right no no the little people are cool but it's these invaders man wait hold on (laughs) Gabriel Haslip Vieira. Yes, I I know all about him. (laughs) Well, check this out. Oh, you do? What do you know about him before I talk? Yeah, so part of, like, you know, I had to still do things like the academy when I'm doing my dissertation, so I had to read, like, every book I could find, right, about Tainos and Taino, like, perspectives and stuff, right? So this dude, I came across him, and I've read, like, him arguing that people are claiming to be you know, Indio because they're ashamed of being black 
and I like there's all kinds of weird and he calls it like a new age fad and yeah. weird shit like that so I, I have a lot of beef with him mm-hmm. so I'm looking okay I'm just looking now yeah it's called I don't think it's still in existence but NILP network on Latino issues they had highlighted him in an article. He's talking BS about us, you know? <laughs> exactly what you're saying. And, okay, here we go. There was a note. Sir, okay, um, I wrote a letter to that publishing company and it says, uh, oh, here it is, the National Institute for Latino Policy, okay? And I pretty much accused them of paper gen- uh, supporting paper genocide against the Taino people, and they 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 should dem- you know I demand an apology kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So this is the note they wrote: Certain leaders of the Taino movement have been very upset over our publication of a guest commentary by Professor Gabriel Haslip Vieira on the Neo Taino movement. And the return of the old Anglo neo imperialistic scholarship. <laughs> Maybe that's the article you read. Who is this written for? <laughs> you know what I mean? So, 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 so this was, and then it continues. One self-described New York City Taino spiritual leader has gone as far as demanding that NILP issue a public apology. Yeah, that was me. I don't know, but this feels like a Charlie Hepdo light moment to me. And he's referring to that that man that blew up a he blew up a French a French uh, news. Uh, what do you call that? A newsroom mm-hmm. or news Because he didn't agree with some kind of article, so he just killed like the, all these people. So I went ballistic when I read that. You know, and then he says, when he accused me of being a terrorist, you know, is to promote. So they're saying that their whole thing was to promote debate about issues of concerning the Latino community, right? You know, Uh, hold on a second. Um, So basically, hold on a second, hold on. So he paid, you know, they paid pretty much supporting him, saying that, you know, hey, he was just critiquing. That's all it was, and blah, blah, blah. Of course, it was one sided, right? Yep, yep. Then, he, then they went as far as saying that his critique is to further educate people about the question of Taino identity. Nothing for us to do on this question. So pretty much, they were just saying, you know, like shut up and 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 pay attention, kind of thing. We are the academy, you know. <laughs> well, it is a real problem. Okay, here it is. It's a real problem to profess a belief in free speech, but then promote censorship. Oh, that's what he accused me of. Okay, so he says he's a highly respected historian and leader in Latino studies, has well documented analysis that is only prejudicial in the sense that it reflects his viewpoint and not because of any racial ethnic prejudice 
on his part. So that was their response to my letter saying, yo, you got to apologize. So, and then he goes, if anything, no jodas. This is what he wrote. No jodas. It is Luis Ramos who owes us an apology. Oh. No jodas. Don't mess with us, right? No, don't mess around. No. Oh, my God. Do you have a copy of that that I could look at? See, I'm trying to... Something's going on with my... Like, we don't have to do it now, but for sure I want to look at that because that's... There's like an elitism, right? There's an elitism there because... No, no. This is is what I wanted to highlight and ask your opinion on that. What do you think? This is a a published Latino policy attacking a spiritual leader for sharing a view, right? Yeah, I um I don't know who is at the head of that. Um, oh, <laughs> Angelo Falcon. Actually, he's deceased actually. Angelo Falcon. The late Angelo Falcon. I believe um, he passed away. It became I think that to a lot of people um so when I'm, gonna, I'm not going to even go into that history lesson. I'm just going to fucking come out with it. Um, yeah. It's elitist bullshit. Right? Yeah. Here's the thing. Um, most people, even within our own ethnic group, right, when they go into the academy, sometimes they sort of get really separated from the communities. Right, and they sort of live within like white dominant culture, mm-hmm. and things that you know, like things like stereotypical ideas of indigeneity, right? Like what it means to be indigenous, things like that. They get pretty well grafted into your brain. And it's something that I had to push back against too, because mm-hmm. the thing is, is like when people talk about in like indigenous identity. They're always approaching it from mainland tribes ideas of what that means you can't do that okay you can't do that right. in latin america because it's a different whole different situation like every location had a different way that it was colonized and different set of circumstances that they had to go through right so i think for one thing a lot of people have a misconception about um, resurgent indigenous identity in latin america because I would like for folks to like look at some movements in like Mexico and Peru and South America where the same kind of resurgence is going on and decolonial work. So you have things like um, the Zapatistas, right? Who uh, really like when you read about decolonization, they come up as like this big case study of like major decolonization because they kind of like, um, sort of said we're, we're going to uh, you know decolonize and that's that and that's okay because we live in a, a plural versal world where we're like living within world within worlds right so it's cool we can we can kind of live together but you've got to respect our our stance in centering our ancestors and our sovereignty that's right it. and and those people they had the same kind of shit thrown at them people who are Chicana have the same shit thrown at them but 
the thing is, is that because they're like, well, you, you were mixed, you're, you're mestiza, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So like, it's like, well, yeah, I'm not a fucking melting pot. Like I still have these lineages and they're still important to me just because you want me to erase them to become something that is continuous with the timeline of colonization and forces me to identify a certain way, whether it be Latin or Latino or Hispanic, it changes like every fucking 10 years. You know what I mean? I don't want, right. I, I, I don't want to identify myself through like racial lenses. You know what I mean? I want to, I want to understand where my roots are. And I think if you're from the Caribbean, um, especially if you're in diaspora, you don't hear a lot about your culture unless you're very lucky. So a lot of the stuff that you think, you know, like you kind of have to like find your own way and research your culture. And, um, you know, you start to learn like, oh wait, you know, like I think when I was told when I, my folks said, you know, you're Puerto Rican, I thought it was like, oh yeah, we're, you know, we must be indigenous. Right. Cause why would they call us Puerto Rican? <laughs> You know what I mean? In my mind, I, I don't think I thought in terms of indigenous, but I'm like, oh, that means that we're, we're from that island, right? Yeah. And I was like, oh, no, no, that's not what happened. You know, like later somebody told me um, that the Taino went extinct. I heard that pretty early on. Um, but yeah, it's just wild. Um, I'm not sure where I went off totally on a tangent there. I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, no problem. Well, well, here's the thing. See, because it, it ignites, you know, this fury. That's but so yeah. Much. Yeah, so 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 I just um I just looked it up that Angelo Falcon, uh, he was a political. Hold on a second, what was his official title? He was a political analyst. He was known for welding data as a weapon to force elected officials into taking action on belief on the. Okay, he was a New York advocate for Latinos, you know. But mm -hmm. but here's the thing. This is the letter I wrote. I just want to share it, okay? Mm -hmm. there's, a point, there's a point to all this. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hold on a second. Because there was never really any closure, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, so what, what I wrote was, I, I am a local New York City Taino leader, spiritual leader, and it came to my attention today that the Professor Gabriel wrote an article entitled, and that's, the, that's what the article we mentioned, in the National Institute for Latino Policy. And then I said, is it, it is a disgrace to my family and fellow Taino sisters and brothers that this article was ever published. I am a total believer of free speech, but it is totally wrong and unethical when a writer attacks a people or a community. And I'm requesting that the board of directors and the editor issue a public apology to the Taino community in the Caribbean and the diaspora for allowing a prejudicial article to be published. And then I wrote, I signed off, right? And here's the thing. What, what I read earlier, his response, comparing me to that terrorist guy in France, uh. Uh, the last sentence he said, and there's no disrespect to the dead, but my point is when you push the academy a little bit, you know? Yeah. And this was his response. If anything, no hold us. So no whole that means don't, don't you know don't don't fuck with us right don't don't fuck around you know mm -hmm. that's basically the translation when you say that no hold us it is Louis Ramos who owes us a public apology for questioning our integrity so this is what the academy does a lot right now these are publications you push them really hard and then they got a curse see that's is that's is 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 that really cool you know is that smart is that you know uh, 
uh, honest debate, you know? So it's not, but it's not. the thing is that they don't really care about what people think, right? Yeah. It's kind of like its own little world there, and they only talk to each other. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so, so that exact. So, guess what? That that no hold that statement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, really pissed me off. So I, so I wrote an email to them, latinopolicy.org, and I wrote them on February 17, 2015. The Mobile Indigenous Library and local Taino activists. Uh, hold on a second. Oh yeah, so where did I? Hold on a second. I'm still okay. So I wrote a letter to them, right? And I said, because I I had challenged the professor to come one on one and to debate on a public on a public forum, you know, because they, you know, they. They wouldn't do this at the college. So I says, you know what? I own an indigenous mobile library. We're going to come there to the school and you, you come meet us and we'll debate if we, if we exist or not. You know, so so we did it on February 17th. We gather in front of City College to challenge the negative myth created by the professor Gabriel Haslip. Right. Uh, and then I wrote not one student or person visiting our library agree with the professor. There was much anger, but education was done at the grassroots level. So there were a lot of students, little by little, they came to the table and we started talking, you know. And it was a snowstorm the day before. So it was like tons of snow. It was like at least 10 feet of snow that, that you know, we were shoveling. And so he didn't come down. The prof- we, we, we put the table in front of his office. You know, so I'm still requesting a sit down to discuss the matter of prejudice against the Taino people. Our voices need to be heard, right? So, so I sent them that. Hey, let, let's get this debate done. We, we went to City College. What's up? So this is what the professor wrote back, and I want to hear your comment on this. The event at City College, City University of New York, turned out to be a farce. They weren't even allowed into the public space in the college North Academic Center, which is true. They didn't let us in. They had to set up a table with only a few books and souvenirs outside the building in the snow on a very cold day. I received communication from students who informed me that their talk was lunacy and so on. <laughs> he wrote this in a public in a public. Uh, in the in the public, pu- I think it was City College publication. He wrote this. So, what do you think about that? His response. I don't understand uh, what's threatening to him about Taino identity. That's you know it. what I mean? Yeah. I I don't get it. I don't get why he's well. First of all, okay, like he he's like dead set on it, and it's it's like these like uber right christian people we see where oh, like yeah. they they have this like idea and they they don't want their world to change if they if they see you they talk to you and challenge you know you challenge their worldview it goes to shit the yeah. thing is like if if somebody shows up at your door and you're a professor okay first of all if you're a professor if this is a political position what you say the shit you say has weight I'm not saying it should, because there's a lot of people that should not be professors that are just uh-huh. not great people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But you don't 
like I I don't know in what world this would be fucking okay to say in a publication for one thing. Um, so it's it's another thing, right? It's like why why the hell is he so scared of Taino identity? And and like what what are we doing, right? All we're doing is trying to understand our culture. What is so poisonous about that? As a matter of fact, a lot of us need that. Like it is really fucking jarring to grow up with some indigeneity in your in your life because you're always wondering and you're always knowing like maybe you were the product of rape long long ago right like yeah may, like there's all this shit like what was my what was that culture like you don't get to know that because it was erased so sometimes it's like this passionate urge to just figure out what the fuck it was um sorry if i'm swearing too much but <laughs> you know it's That's like broke. but like if and i think that if if you're if you don't feel that you're not gonna feel it and that's okay like if you're not if you don't get it if you don't want to identify that's cool right like we're not trying to convert people it's just like what we're trying to do is educate put it out there and then also like celebrate our culture together and grow it and have a future for it right so it doesn't die so what what is wrong about that what is so fucking unethical we're not like claiming Lakota roots. We're not doing things that are appropriation. Uh, everything that we've done within our Yukiak, every ceremony, every project that's research oriented that I've been through has been extremely well researched. Okay. And I'm saying this as somebody who, who, you know, has spent a lot of time learning research methodologies and, and the way to do it. This is not careless shit. We're not just putting things out in the ether people. And our Yukiak spend hours, like, with no money. These people aren't getting... That dude's getting money to write that shit about us, right? Nobody gets money in our Yukiak to do the work that we do. Yeah. But people do it. So you gotta tell me, people just spend all of their life working towards this, and it's literally just a figment of our imagination? What the fuck? It's not... Like, you need... Like, I think if somebody presented it, you know, he he could actually listen. But he doesn't want to. And that, that is so much sort of the colonizer's way, right? Mm-hmm. Turn a blind ear. Blind eye, rather. Uh, a deaf yeah. ear. Yeah, not, not, not my battle is not with Angelo Falcon. That's not my battle because he's deceased right now. And I and I, uh, I don't want to offend him or his family. You know, when he rests in peace, that's all good. But, you know, you know he, he published the article. And, you know, thankfully, he let people respond, you know, and so a lot of people did respond. But this debate, you know, he, you know, this professor is going around mocking us, you know, and that's not right. He's using his academic uh, power, right? Yeah. I don't know that many people take him seriously or not, to be honest with you. Well, he's, well... He teaches a. He's not, has a lot of influence. A lot of young people that go to college there, city college, you know, it's a, lot true. Of, yep. a lot of influence. And there were some students that did challenges that day. You know, he talks about we have a we had a few books. The whole thing was we don't need books to prove our identity, but the books I did bring were Taino books so in case people want to. You know, they're students, right? If they want to read read something that's real, you know what I mean? Not his hate speeches right or writings i should say and then uh, we were just testifying 
you know and then and then he said oh that's a farce it was a farce like really dude we're right in your backyard at least speak to us right but, but you know what's really cool? Um, I'm going to try to find this video I took. There was a professor from uh, Florida State, I believe. University of Florida State, I think that's what it's called. And um, he was from Haiti. He was Haitian. And I forget his name. I got to locate the name. He came to the table and he was visiting. He was doing some research, right? Mm-hmm. And he was so happy. He saw the Taino books. He says, oh, you all Taino. I said, yeah. And, you know, and we're talking. And then, and then we explain why we were here, you know. He's like, so we show him what I just showed you, right? And he's like, this is racist. This yeah, is yes. garbage. Like, he was really upset, you know. Because he read what Gabriel had written. And he, and he was really angry. So we got him on film. And he said it, you know, this is this is racially motivated, you know. You know, he, he accused us. Basically, this professor accuses the Taino of, of being racially divisive, you know. But he's being racially divisive, you know what I mean? But not only that, but, like, I don't know many people who also don't celebrate their Afro-Indigenous roots, too. You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing is, like, he doesn't ever get to that. Like, a lot of us just celebrate all of our cultures, right, and our ethnicities. Uh-huh. And so, like, it just seems like the way this dude is writing, seriously, I don't I don't think he's ever talked to anybody. Yeah. No, he he, he didn't come down. He didn't come yeah. down. And and you know, we and we tried to go into the center to set up because of the snow and they wouldn't let us in. But that's all right. We'll we'll be right out here. And you know, he knew about it. We emailed him and everything and um he wouldn't come down, he wouldn't meet us. So I guess he was afraid he might hurt him a sign. I don't know. But we we came in peace. <laughs> yeah. It was a very cold day too, but uh but the thing is that you know we got to keep pushing right we got to keep uh i guess two levels one through the academy and you're in the academy right now you for your phd and also social activism right uh, uh advocacy so we could you know we can show that we're still here right you know, we're still here so the cool things that we do like in the yokiak that i love seeing is like people uh getting back in touch with like material culture and making drums making like beadwork and stuff like that that's really cool um yep and i think it's important too is like that that indigenous joy like celebrating because there's often we're like bombarded with this anti like taino or taino extinction stuff it's so important to like also celebrate celebrate our roots too right exactly i don't know man but i think this is going to be a part we're going to discuss this part two, this decolonization, and we can talk more too about what the Yucayeke is doing, what other Yucayeke are doing. You know, I think from 2015 to now, in between the COVID, you know, pandemic, but hey, we're still here, man. We're doing our best. And I'm glad and I'm happy that you're making this initiative into the Yucayeke, in the Yucayeke, you know, fighting this these decolonization, right? It's, colonial mentalities paper genocide and so on you're doing a great job i really applaud you what are you doing friday i think this friday you guys are meeting again yeah we're gonna and also huge honor to be here like i i started listening to taino radio before i met you so <laughs> oh wonderful thank you hey check out the mail <laughs> so yeah i uh it's really cool and surreal for me because i also am really like awkward um with podcasts so thanks for bearing with me uh but oh, you know oh. I 
Happy yeah, that you're here. I'm excited because um, our, our sister in the Yukiak, Destiny, who has done so much work with language restoration and like doing accessibility, things like that for learning. Mm-hmm. She is going to be leading us through that discussion about like disability and decolonization. Yes. Right. And there's some cool stuff to talk about there because, like, you know, we talk about like schizophrenia and shamanism. You know, <laughs> we, there's like some stuff to get into there too. Like, I think, right, um, where we can talk about like how the West codifies and makes things that we could sometimes think of as spiritual as like an illness. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's a lot there. We're gonna be digging into it. I'm really excited. I think it's gonna be really good for all of us. So, um, you know. I'll, uh, I'll report back to you too and tell you about that one because I think it should be pretty interesting. Oh, that's great, man. You know, it's funny. You know, I'm a clinician myself, and many years ago, I had interview a, a Cherokee woman, and I was so happy. She was like my first uh, indigenous client after, you know, my own community, you know, Dominican, mm-hmm. you know, Boricua, you know, Quisqueano. So, so we had a great time. I did a whole evaluation of her, and then deep depression though so i i recommended to the psychiatrist and then uh, i said hey when you get the report back you know share with me and uh you know i can do the psychotherapy and if she gives you medications if you if it's needed because she was severely depressed mm-hmm. then you know let, let's talk about it let, let's 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 get it done you know and and a lot of stuff she shared was so spiritual i, I was with her i was right there i'm like wow man you you got to really follow up with your elders and see if you can get connected in, into the you know helping others through your your visions you know and and I, I was with her man i'm like oh man it was an honor it's beautiful thank you for sharing your visions right so so she was happy i was happy i was like yo come back you know and she did come back and she was furious she lost it she was actually um scored out and i say like, what happened he's like I was diagnosed with schizophrenia, <laughs> paranoia features. I'm like, what? And oh I was like, God. so I just, I lost it. You know, I'm like, I'm like, oh my, I guess I'm schizophrenic. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was with her all the way. <laughs> was even a little jealous. Like, really? That's what you saw? Oh, I had a glimpse of that, but I didn't see the whole thing. But damn, you really saw that, you know? <laughs> and you didn't take any plant medicine, and you saw it. <laughs> so I'm actually writing it out, you know. I'm drawing it, you know. Got my little crayons. What I do with the kids and uh, for play therapy. And I'm like, oh, man, this is deep. So yeah, man, she came out with schizophrenia. I'm like, yo, I'm schizophrenic. I know it. <laughs> That's a confirmation. <laughs> And like, you know, it's so stigmatized too. And I think like if we had more indigenous therapists, we'd be a lot better off because there's some things that are like, like you said, like spirit, right? So you have to address the spirit and the mind at the same time. Yeah, I'm looking to do some private practice work, but, um, but, but not do like charging, you know, maybe do a old fashioned, what they call a bartering, you know? Yeah, trading. Yep. Yeah. I'm not going to take any cash. But it has to be some form of, uh, you know, bring it back, you know, because yeah. it's just sad, man. You know, we're we're considered crazy <laughs> using a non-clinical term. <laughs> it's okay. I am too. 
crazy, man. What's that game? Well, I mean, like, how do you have generational trauma and not end up a little crazy? That's all I'm saying. Well, the reason I brought this up, this is what we need to decolonize, man. We need to decolonize these labels that we receive, right? Yeah, totally. Because there's a lot of shame that people bear with that, too, when they, when they like, see things or hear things or feel certain ways that they can't explain, you know? Yeah, did you read that article? That I think it was the hard thing. Oh man, see, I, see, see, we're off the cuff now, but uh, I believe it was Harvard or Yale, one of them. I want to say Harvard. They did that study of schizophrenia and uh, shamanism, whatever, and, yeah. and 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 they went to the Amazon to speak to shamans and you know the spiritual leaders to see if they could cure schizophrenia or at least treat it with their medicines, and. And the medicine people were like, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 hold on a second. You know, they don't need any help. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's so different. They need comfort. They need to be listened to. You know, they need to be taken care of. <laughs> yeah, like the whole human, you know what I mean? Like The, the opposite of what our society does, right? You know, a yeah. lot of people are homeless. And they're not violent. Only like, what, only like 4% of the uh, uh, mental you know schizophrenia bipolar you know it's only like four percent of violence no violence in them they just you know no support there's no love there's no support for oh yeah the ill with schizophrenia different you know so it's like uh schizoaffective so it's like now they're recommending no, no 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 they need to be housed in a special place they need to be fed they need to be listened to these are the visions they need to share you know to make the world better <laughs> I gotta get that article. I believe it was Harvard that did that. So I was like, oh man, that is deep, man. You know? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and that's like um, different ways of treating too, like different ways of us um, kind of addressing like psychosis is, you know, completely different um, yeah. in so many different cultures where like if you're feeling depressed, people don't just like, you know, like, oh, you're a joy kill. You know what I mean? Like that whole idea of like lifting you up and um, kind of being there for you is is huge you know because it in tribal societies you know everybody's gotta contribute to survive if we're talking about like way back when you know yep. and even today so yeah it's it's a different ethic of like um you know i was talking to Kasike about this and she brought up hollow bones and i hadn't heard that phrase in oh, forever frank yeah frank fool's crow yep and I'm like, that's the ethos, that's the ethics of our community with communication, because we're like a medicine society, you know, it's like, when we listen, we make room, we make space, um, because each of us needs space sometimes, you know, so it's like, it's, it's really unbelievable sometimes for me to realize that what we have is like a real thing, you know what I mean? Because it's, it's something that I think a lot of us didn't think that we could find. You know before we could connect with each other through social media so it's really um that hollow bones experience you know of like being there but also being open to allow people to kind of um release or celebrate whatever it is mm -hmm. well here's the funny part say say right now new york city i rent down a room right or rent down a space say a healing ceremony and i and i'll invite some of my friends uh, of the Andean's influence. Hey, bring some ayahuasca. All right, cool, man. And I invite some northern, northern Native American, Native American tree. Hey, bring some uh, peyote, you know. And uh, 
and then and then I'll ask my brother up there in the, in the south, hey, bring up some magic mushrooms, you know, and we're gonna have a nice ceremony, you know, we'll introduce the medicine, we'll we'll be all arrested. Well, maybe not the North American church because they have uh, they're allowed, but but we can get arrested for for that ceremony. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. At the same but, time, celebrities are talking about their ayahuasca trips like constantly <laughs> on social media and not getting like anything for it. And exactly. And then the thing is, we'll get arrested, right? And then, you know, innocence or proving no guilty until proven innocent, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of. But 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 here's the thing. NYU is giving uh, magic mushrooms to their patients of cancer and so on, and people who are transitioning. But it's all right. Mm-hmm. If NYU does it, right? Well, they can't. They can't make money if you do it, though, Santa Corey. So, oh, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yo, what's up with that? The pharmaceutical companies is what's up with that. They own the country. You know. See, possession of magic mushrooms is illegal because they contain a Schedule One drug, psilocin and psilocybin. So there you go, man. It's but illegal. If you, if you get the spores; they're legal because the psilocybin is not active. So technically, oh. there's a loophole. But <laughs> and you can grow them. Because I'm a mycologist, so I grow mushrooms like all like mostly um, gourmet edible, and then some reishi, right? And, like, you learn all this stuff because people, like, in that community, they grow them all the time. Like, there are groups just for that because they're kind of a cool mushroom in general. They're just, like, a really neat specimen to have. So there's, like, there's loopholes. Um, so, so, so it's kind of interesting that the, that magical mushroom is, uh, is equal to heroin and LSD. Yeah. <laughs> How can something natural be equated with heroin and LSD? Damn. You know, because I think, too, that it, it does need, like, you do need to have somebody who is uh, acquainted with medicine there for anything of that nature, right? That's my that's my opinion. Um, no, no, no. I, you know, I don't think you should be just taking those things, you know, for recreation. Um, that's kind of, like, disrespecting the spirit of it. Great context. Great yeah. context. Because all the people that were caught that are not doing jail time are legitimate um, spiritual leaders with lineage to their tribes. These are the people that were caught, arrested, but were let go when they when, when they prove their lineage. If you don't have lineage, you have to respect the medicines, you know, because it could do a lot of harm. Yeah, so you're absolutely correct. You know, absolutely correct. So if you don't have lineage, you know, traditionally it's from a tribe to use that, you should not be doing it. You should not be using it. Yeah, that's right, man. So it's that's so good. dangerous. You know what I mean? Good, to- good, great context you're saying right now. Yeah. Yep. So it's important to, uh, you know, it's not recreational sense, but got to respect the medicine, you know? Yeah, that's the thing, too, is I think, like, it's got to be a cultural thing, you know? I think we're slowly getting there, right? We're, we're getting, like, marijuana is getting legalized. So we're we're getting to the point where people are like, okay, maybe we're being, like, pieces of shit by telling, like, you know, the world that all um, sort of indigenously um, derived psychological medication, right? So, like, things like mushrooms. Okay, maybe there is something to that. You know what I mean? Like, all of a sudden. 
You know, we gotta de- we gotta decolonize medicine. You know. <laughs> mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. And there's a lot of good work on there, right? There's a lot of good work going in that direction. So I'm happy mm-hmm. to see it. I keep hoping that momentum keeps going because it could save the world. You know what I mean? In some ways, because capitalism is just gonna um, hurt the earth more and more. Yeah, but you know what's interesting though? I was at a conference where I was one of the speakers. We're talking about this. This was the topic. Ready for this? Yep. Um. Um. Capitalism and plant medicine. It's people making tons of money on these medicines, running these retreats and running these uh, ceremonies where they charge like two thousand dollars. You know, it's like, hey, when, you know, when did the plants become capitalistic? You know, but it's the some of these people that handle it, they really make you know, a little small fortune, you know. Oh but yeah, that's, that's plastic topic. shamans. That's another topic, but you know what? <laughs> it's, part of, it's part of the colonization, right? Oh yeah, that's plastic shamanism, right? That's what kind of like Hal uh, Sip Rivera is like, kind of accusing us of is like um sort of like sort of making up shit, um, and it's not. Uh, so, you know, it's. But the thing is, is that I think that you see a lot of these people like charging, right? And claiming online that they're like, that, you know, shamans, but then charging like $500, right? And stuff like that. You're always going to have people who are, um, you know, grifters in communities. Um, So it's it's important, I think, to like, uh, to have an ethics about that, you know, that you don't charge for medicine, that that's capitalism. You know what I mean? Like, you're supposed to help people in your community and heal them um, just because that's what you're supposed to do. You know, it's just an ethical thing. Um, So, yeah, I think, like, uh, we have to change the way, especially in America, the way we think about medicine because it's so um, controlled by lobbying and pharmaceuticals that I just it's it's depressing watching you know like my 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 parents and stuff struggle to pay for medications in their in their retirement so um we need to get away from that you know again (laughs) indigenous models are way better but yeah well well well, i just want to end on this note again the decolonization of our medicine um dmt right which is uh found in the cojoba right Uh, it's also a Schedule One controlled substance since 1971. This DMT have no legitimate medical purposes at all, and imposes heavy fines and imprisonment as punishment for the possession, manufacturing, and the sale of DMT. But check this out. I look. I looked this up in this. Uh, it's called the Addiction Center. However, DMT is part of the rituals and traditions of several indigenous South American religions. And in 2006, the Supreme Court ruled that the federal government cannot prevent the practitioners of religions which considered DMT to be sacred from using the drug as part of their religious expression. So, it's I mean, interesting. We're, we're messing around with DMT, that's some serious stuff. Yeah, but you know, Supreme Court acknowledges it. Hey, man, you know, if he's used religiously, and again, if these are legitimate leaders who have lineage, you're good, you know. Yeah, and I think it's good to talk about, like, you know, why you would use that, right? Like, yeah. what, uh-huh. like, having general kind of idea of why you would use that specific ritual or medicine. Yeah. Um, it's not just something you throw out there. You know, people can just request it. You know, <laughs> like 
party line you know what i mean um it, it's something that right uh, you as a um sort of a keeper of medicine that you would probably administer for specific purposes right mm -hmm. yeah. is that something you just sort of give out no, that's the thing. Exactly. So it has to, you know, context, you know. But 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 I remember my friend. Uh, I won't mention his name, but uh, he had mentioned to me once. Uh, you know, they'll arrest you, but make sure you have that lineage because that's going to keep you out of jail for a long time. You got to prove that lineage. You know, it's happened to some of my friends. And attorney fees are very expensive. So if anyone out there is doing these ceremonies, always be careful. The the the. DEA are always watching, you know, and they read all our emails, right? They, they listen to Taino Radio, right? So just be careful <laughs> that, uh, just be careful out there and respect the plants, respect the ceremony, you know, so, right? But if you follow the flow of the colonizers, you're making a good buck, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm making a good buck off these medicines man Damn. oh my gosh and the way they source the well that's well, a whole other topic i won't get into it <laughs> but hey i gotta welcome you back hey maybe we can do some uh we'll do some different topics how we can decolonize right oh i love it let's do it yeah decolonize well this is part one tonight man we went oh we went way over time so guess what we're gonna end the show but do you have any final thoughts to our listeners about decolonization and you know you can share now if you like yeah i think it's um i think it's really easy to like get uh, like disheartened when you're going through this sometimes and you see like sort of negativity and i think it's really important we talk about decolonization it's about mm -hmm. centering not how other people think and feel about you because remember that master narrative wants you to believe that you're extinct right mm -hmm. that your culture right. doesn't exist and that you don't have a culture mm -hmm. right so the most important thing that you can do is celebrate your identity, right? Celebrate with people who also celebrate that identity so you feel a sense of empowerment. You know, really contribute back to your community if you're Taino in a meaningful way. Like, make sure that you're connecting with people, checking up on people. There's a lot of depression in our community. You know, if we're talking about decolonization, that means caring and checking up. So, um, you know, again, just making space for people, all those things are acts of decolonization that take a little, a little extra labor, right? Emotional labor to do, but they're so important because sometimes that can make or break somebody. And we got to be here for each other because we all have that trauma. We have a lot of stuff going on in our families. So, you know, let's be open to each other. Excellent point. Thank you so much for being here. And the words of Caroline Wing, Lakota medicine woman. When I first told her I was Taino, she looked at me and she says, oh, God bless you. And she gave me a hug. And I says, really? You believe me? <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then and then, and then, she's like, uh, she's, of course I believe you. Who wants to be Taino? So you have to be Taino. <laughs> Who wants to be Taino? You guys on the bottom of the uh, totem pole. <laughs> no no one thinks you exist so you have to be <laughs> yep first colonized right <laughs> yep so she's like hey man you must be taino who says they're taino <laughs> this is back in the 90s so i'm like wow man that, that that taught me a lesson right oh man we have to talk so much about your old days 
because I want to know so much about <laughs> another conversation. Thank no you so man. much for having me here. I had so much fun. We got to do oh, it again. Oh, man. Thank you, Natalie. Listen, I know it's it's late. Lenny Lenape Territory here in New York. You're in Chicago. Is that Potawatomi out there? Is it? Potawatomi, oh. Anishinaabe, and Miami. Look at that. All our cousins, man. That's it. We, we're good. We're good to go. And listen, I'll speak to you soon. We're going to talk about future shows. This is a little intro. We got this, man. We're going strong. Thank you. And all you people who are listening, thank you for tuning in, downloading the show. Taino Radio 1491 at gmail.com. I'll be waiting for your comments, suggestions, and maybe you can come on the show one day. Thank you, Natalie. Good night, everybody. Good night. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Yep. Uh, home.